So here's the deal, you guys. Back in, I think it was March, I received a gift basket full of goodies from female founders, which was so nice. And one of the goodies in there was the most delectable snack, like unreal. I tried it. I told probably five people about it, which if you guys know, familiar with marketing, that's like the best That's almost like better than a testimonial sometimes when you decide to go tell other people about a product. I was just raving about this product. And then I looked on the back of the packaging and I saw this woman's face and I was like, oh, I need to have her on the next big thing because this snack is so tasty. I actually went on Amazon, purchased a ton more bags. The snack itself is so tasty. But not only that, we talk about this in the episode If you're like me, I really have a hard time getting protein in. I used to be a vegetarian and sometimes meat just grosses me out. Even though I know for me, especially as someone that works out, I need to get my protein in. What I loved about this snack is it had a great protein and fiber content. I'm not going to get too much into what the snack is made of, but let me tell you guys, it is delicious. It's nutritious. It's one of those snacks that is like a holy grail that you're just like, oh my God, finally, I found something like this. So today on the podcast, we have Regina. She is the founder of Nemi and her story is so good. You guys, she gives so much valuable advice on this podcast episode. I want to tell everyone about it just like I did with her snacks because it's just so good. She's so honest. She's so transparent. And what I love the most is she's so true to what she wanted to do as a brand, sticking to her values and really sticking to her guns when she started to work with partners. So I know you're going to love this episode. I hope you savor every part of it. You take notes and I will catch you guys on the flip side. Talk to me about your story coming from Mexico City to the States. Why did you decide to make the leap? Yes, I grew up in Mexico City. That's where my family is. And I moved to Chicago for law school. And when I came here, one of the first things that I did was go to the grocery store to look for Mexican food and Mexican product. And at the time, I didn't know that there was such a big Latina and Latino community in Chicago, which surprised me in a very good way. But I went to the grocery store and there were two things that I just couldn't forget and that really marked the way that how Nemi started coming around and, and the idea that sparked Nemi. One was going into the ethnic aisle, which I wasn't aware it existed. And I went into that aisle and I saw a lot of very well-established brands portraying Mexican-inspired products or Latino-inspired products in a very stereotypical way. So I remember seeing brands with packaging and there was an indigenous women cooking or a very petite man, very small man with a sombrero. And I remember just feeling unrepresented and thinking, this is not the way that I experienced Mexico at all. This is really not what you see in Mexico anymore. And and I think it didn't it, it not only applied to Mexican inspired products, I think it applied to other other products that were inspired, you know, by other countries um, or nationalities. And then all of those products had artificial ingredients. And I then went to the produce section and I, I saw nopales. Nopales, I don't know if you're familiar with, but there is it's the prickly pear paddle. So it's like the cousin of the cacti of uh, of an aloe too. It's in the same family. And nopales are a staple crop in Mexico. 
If you go to Mexico City or any other state, you're going to find them along the road in every mercado. I would even say that every household probably in Mexico have nopales in their in their fridge or outside or just growing in the backyard. And it's packed with antioxidants, minerals. It, it also has a cultural significance for Mexico. It's in our Mexican flag. If now I feel like now after sometimes after I mention that and people look at the Mexican flag, they're like, oh, I see it now. The eagle eating the snake on top of a nopalera, which is the name of the plant with the nopal petals. We actually had, um, uh, have you ever heard of the uh, brand Nopalera, the skincare mm-hmm. brand? Yeah, so. I love Nopalera, and Sandra is amazing. Oh, the, yeah, she's phenomenal. So we had her oh, on the yes. podcast last year, and uh, she was definitely very enlightening about how how it's used in the culture and how important it is to bring it into different kinds of products because it's so beneficial for your skin and it's so healthy for you. It is. And I think it goes even beyond that. It's the most sustainable Mexican plant. It thrives in hot weather. It needs very little water to survive. Because of that, it doesn't need pesticides. You can pretty much plant a nopal anywhere and it'll grow and it'll take on any kind of, um, you know, rain, hail, extreme heat. It'll, it'll keep growing. And you cut the paddles, you never cut the root. Um, of the plant so it, it it because of that it's it's a very very sustainable plant and I saw the nopales at the grocery store I got very excited thinking wow nopales and as I was about to grab it I noticed that the nopales the paddles had spikes and I thought nobody is going to buy an intimidating looking vegetable mm-hmm. unless they know how to clean it they know how to cook it most people didn't. Even in Mexico, when you buy nopales, you don't buy nopales with spikes. You usually get them without spikes. So it was even intimidating for me who grew up eating nopales, knowing how to cook them, knowing how to clean them. And it and it just felt like it, we really were not doing any justice to this amazing plant. I kept on doing like my legal career for some time, but that stayed in the back of my mind of... I just kept seeing and seeing and seeing all these brands just, you know, showcasing all these stereotypes about us, about our cultura that went beyond Mexico. I think it was more the Latino and the Latina cultura. Um, And then eventually I found paddles with no spikes at other Mexican grocery stores. But it's, I don't know if you had it before, I think it takes some time to get used to the taste because it's a little bit bitter it's very slimy even when you cook it it's still it has some slime to it so I that's when I started thinking how can I create a brand where I can share Mexican ingredients in a fun way and in a way where I can use it to elevate Mexican cultura so I started very DIY um this is while you're in law school so I, I had graduated from law school okay. and I did immigration law for some years. And actually, when I started doing immigration law, I had the opportunity to talk to a lot of farmers that had fled their home countries because of predatory farming practices. Wow. And I and remember from their stories, like when I started thinking about, you know, this the NEMI and brand and what would I do, those experiences 
molded the the backbone of the business and a little bit of the mission around it because whatever I did, I knew that I wanted to, to work directly with the farmer and that we were not going to engage in any kind of predatory practices towards the farmer. And then with that also working with women of color as well. I identify as, as a woman of color and I know the difference that there is when it comes to access and opportunity. So it was, you know, how can I transfer the work that I had been doing in my legal career, advocating for human rights into the corporate world where I think if we have a, a business, in this case, a food business, we have an opportunity to create more or than a, than, than a product or satisfy more than a food craving. Mm-hmm. What I, how I, what I want this business to be like, or to look like. So I started with the mission of the company. I started with the values first of something about Mexican food, Mexican products, Mexican cultura, ingredients, working directly with farmers, working with women of color, the women of color that we work with, a lot of them hold positions that are usually reserved for men. So for example, the co-packer, which is the person that manufactures the products in Mexico, is a female. The customs wow. agent that I work with is a female. So I'm very intentional. Actually, all all NEMI is, is women-led and operated. And I'm very, int- and, and I'm not saying, you know, I don't have anything against men. I married one. Um, <laughs> And I married a gringo too, right? So I, I have nothing again necessarily gringos and men. Yeah. But I think we just need to be very intentional about the change that we want to see. Yes. How do we want to be part of that change? What kind of opportunities do we have to make that change and create those opportunities? And we've been doing that at a small scale, right? Like I'm you know, Nemi is bootstrapped. Um, it's it's a small company, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because there is still this space where what are your values? And I think once you define those values and th- that's going to be the backbone of Nemi, that I think that's, that's our Northern star. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything else is going to fall onto those buckets. So I started with that. Then I started traveling to Mexico connecting with farmers, a lot of it was through, you know, word of mouth, um, started thinking about a product. And then I, I started doing some research too, some market research. So I joined an incubator in Chicago called The Hatchery, which is an amazing incubator that is funded by the city. And they don't take any equity from all the businesses that are part of The Hatchery. And it's only for food and beverage businesses in Chicago. So I joined and I just started learning about CPG because I didn't come from a CPG background. I I mean, even corporate law, I didn't really have an idea of corporate law. Mm-hmm. So I, there, I knew that I was starting with a lot of passion, with passion that aligned with purpose and the reason not why I was doing it. But passion only takes you so far, right? I think passion, I always say passion has two legs and it's called discipline. But then it's all the knowledge. I love that. That's so good. Because if not, it doesn't take you anywhere. Totally. Absolutely. You know, I think yeah. there's there's this very romantic idea of yes, follow your passion. And yes, I one hundred percent believe in that and support that. Yes. But there is a lot that happens at the back of that, at the back end of that. 100%. So yeah. Um, and I started learning about CPG, connecting with founders, with people in the industry, 
I knew that I was coming without institutional knowledge and I didn't see that as a limitation, but I saw that as an opportunity. So I knew I had to learn a lot and I'm still doing that. And there's so many things that I still don't know that I'm trying to figure out. And I think, you know, I, I understood and I knew at the beginning that I didn't, something that I, we struggle with and I think I still do with some areas in the business or personally in my life of not striving for perfection, but really striving for progress and starting with whatever it is that I had at that moment. I had DIY packaging that my sister and I did on PowerPoint and on, how do you call that? I think it's, um, what is that program? Is it, it's not a illustrator or yeah oh so it's like yeah the illustrator in design the like adobe right suite. not yeah. not canva because the canva i think i do i use canva a lot and i think it's very user-friendly i think yeah. it was illustrator my okay. sister is a textile designer so she knew how to use those programs that i didn't so she helped me do the first packaging i'm not a native english speaker so i just you know started like writing down some things trying to summarize that as much as possible you know, ultimately the packaging, I knew the packaging needed to improve. I knew that since the beginning. I knew that what I was putting outside and, and starting with something, it wasn't going to be, you know, the best, the perfect, the best packaging or the most yes. vibrant packaging. I knew that. Yeah. But I wanted to start and just test out the product, get consumer feedback, figure out who my consumer was, if it really was a consumer that I was thinking it was going to be, and just starting from there and testing it out. So I launched the company in March 2019. And that first half year of 2019 was really good because I was able to do a lot of in-person marketing and do a lot of sampling and connect with a lot of consumers and really get that firsthand information directly from the consumer, which is what I was what I was trying to achieve for that first stage of the business. Yeah. Um, and then that really helped us for the following year for the new packaging. Uh, when we started designing the new packaging, pretty much the new packaging, which is totally different from our first packaging. So is that the current packaging? The current packaging. It looks so good. It pops. Like, Thank it you. Pops. I also love too. So we had, um, Laura from Legally Addictive on the podcast and she oh, yeah. has her photo on the packaging. And I love that you have your photo on the packaging because it just creates Thank this you. relatability with you. I thought about including that for some time because I just wasn't used to that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly the reason why we did it, just to create a little bit more familiarity where we're, where we're coming from. And, you know, I'm very vocal about being women-owned and supporting other women-owned and or women-led businesses, yeah. and it was just a way to kind of connect the dots into into that mission. Completely. I want to go really quickly into how you were able to cultivate this delicious snack for people listening. It's absolutely amazing. What was the process like? Of you talked about flying down to Mexico, meeting with farmers. What was the process of? networking and starting to build this iconic plant into a product that is as tasty as it is. Thank you. Yes, it was a process. And I I missed saying that before I started thinking about Nemi, I thought about an, I I had a different business, like very, very small for, it was a very quick stint where I made uh, 
bars, like energy bars from amaranth seeds. So amaranth, it's a pseudo grain that it's high in fiber, high in antioxidants. And it's, it's also native to Mexico, amaranth. But it was a terrible product. It didn't taste good. It was too healthy to the point where it was inedible. Mm-hmm. And that was a really good experience because ultimately in the end, and this is something that I read in marketing reports and market research and consumer reports, and I also tested it out and it's 100% true. Depending on what you're, what you're looking for and what you're eating, but in the snack category, we're usually looking for texture. So whatever we go for needs to be crunchy. We're looking for flavor. Usually if you go into the snack category, you look for salty and flavorful Mm. and for convenience. And I think that first product that I did only had one, which was convenience of you can take it and put it in your purse. The texture was off, the flavors were off, uh, but it it was good practice, I would say. And so then when I started thinking about it needs to be crunchy, it needs to be flavorful. I think when you have good quality ingredients, you don't need a lot of flavor enhancers. You don't need a lot of artificial stuff. So I had to find the right combination of chiles, of spices, of ingredients so that I could recreate that crunch and that flavor profile that I knew I needed to have if I wanted to make something good and something that the consumer liked. So I started traveling to Mexico and I started in a fair that is called, it's the Amaranth Fair. It's called La Feria de Tullihualco. Have you been to Mexico City? It's one of my favorite cities. Okay, mine, mine I too. Love it. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I, <laughs> I agree with that. It's just so much fun. The food is incredible. I love how big, I love big cities. So yeah. to be there, it's just, you know, the museums are amazing. It's, it's a great place. Yes, I agree. I love it. Well, if you, yeah. did you go to a place called Xochimilco where you were in Mexico City? Uh, I can't remember. I don't think so. It's in the South and it's an area where people in Mexico call it the Mexican Venice because oh, okay. there's some canals, like man-made yeah, not go there. canals. <laughs> yeah. It's really not like, like Venice, but it's a beautiful place. In, and a lot of the amaranth comes from that place. So there's a lot of amaranth farmers around that area. There's a lot of other um, farmers that are cultivating kind of, you know, they have organic small farms. So I went to the fair and I just started connecting with farmers and thinking about it needs to be good, but it also needs to be nutritious. So I knew that I I knew what I didn't want to use. I knew that I didn't want to go down the path of artificial ingredients of, you know, stuff that I knew that I wouldn't eat or that I wouldn't recommend someone else eating. Mm, Interesting. So that's when I started talking to farmers, asking around, connecting with a lot of them, um, talking to co-packers because I was the only one in the business. I also, and I had a full-time job. So I knew my limitations when it came to time. So I I thought I I really have to find someone who can make this for me. And if I can. So you went on this trip to find, that was like your mission is to find the people that could produce it. Yes. I had, you know, and I went to Mexico for like a week. And I thought, I have to connect with the farmers that I'm going to work with. I'm going to find the co-packer that I'm going to work with. I met co-packers. I didn't, it wasn't the one that I ended up working with. But I met several co-packers, which I started conversations. We started testing the product. 
I, I had the recipe. I, I mean, and that I did that at home. I knew I, I don't have a, you know, a food chemistry background, but I love food. And I grew up in a household where everything was about food. If we were having breakfast, we were talking about what were we going to cook for lunch and dinner. Everyone in my family cooked. We always loved experimenting with new flavors. And I think, I don't know if you felt it when you went to Mexico, but in Mexico, and, and I see it here also with, with um, Latino and Latina culture, if, you have, if you're having a meal, it's all about the conversation around food. It's all about sharing that experience. We're going to talk to you about where this frijol comes from, the color, what does it mean, how did we make it? And it's always that storytelling behind the food that you're eating. So I started connecting with some co-packers and I mean, sourcing vendors of, for the stickers, I had stickers and in front and back of my packaging when, when I started, uh, when I launched the company in the, the bags that I was going to use, I knew that I wanted to use more sustainable material, but I wasn't there yet. And I, and one of the things that I've realized too, that is not always counterintuitive for me that I have to remind myself constantly of is really one step at a time. There's a lot of elements that are part of NEMI that I want to achieve, but you know, at the beginning, knowing that I didn't have the best packaging, that I didn't have recyclable packaging. I knew that I would get there. And I think in the sustainability front, there's so many things that I still need and want to achieve. Um, but again, one step at a time, according to the resources that we have, the space where we're in, and, you know, going back to what I was telling you about connecting with farmers and the co-packer, that's how it started. And I remember talking to this um, seasonings company and telling them, I don't want any colors, artificial colors. I don't want any red number, whatever, yellow number, six. I don't want any flavor enhancers. I don't want any preservatives. And then they were looking at me thinking, what do you want then? But what do you mean? People are going to eat the snack. Their fingers are not going to get red. Hmm. And I told them, yes, I know that. That's what I want. Oh, oh, that's so interesting. Their fingers are not going to, or their tongue, but their tongue is not going to get stained. That's okay. But then if, the, if I don't add the flavor enhancer, then their brain is not going to identify. I don't care. Please, if you can do what I'm asking you to do. I can tell you the ingredients that I'm looking for. And you're the expert when it comes to, you know, the combination of, of those things. I had an idea, but I really didn't have the formula nailed down to where it needed to be. And we're still tweaking it. But it was just interesting to get that feedback. That's crazy. And I found a company. And at the moment, I thought they're not going to want to work with me. I'm a very small company. I'm asking them to create a seasoning they don't even have for a very, very small volume compared to the amount of volume they usually sell to big companies. Right. But they liked the mission. They liked the mission. They liked what we were trying to do. And it's the seasoning company that I still work with. So Good for you but, for holding true to your values, knowing that you're going in as a smaller player, but still maintaining that level of confidence and conviction that you're going to do things the way that you want to do things because there's a reason behind it. And finding someone that's going to believe in you for that is really commendable. Thank you. And I think going back to, to what we were talking about, really having what are your holy grails of the business? 
you're going to stick to those five, six, three, you know, how, how, however many you have. And that really, that's going to be your guiding principle throughout the business. And I think, you know, when I started, when I was just thinking about, okay, the ingredient profile, the kind of product that I want, I want a product that doesn't have any artificial stuff. Mm. And you figure out a way to do it. It's not easy necessarily. And there's several paths that you can take, but you will figure out a way to do it. And there will be people, and I think that's really the beauty of it, because there will be people that in the end, the people that are going to be part of your boat and jump into your camion of sharing nopal and elevating Latino and Latina cultura, it's going to be most of the time people that believe in your mission. And that creates a different level of communication, trust, and loyalty. Yes. And that's sort of what we try doing. And I think, you know, there, there's also, we have a, a vendor compliance questionnaire. And a lot of the questions are about um, equal pay, about equality and opportunities in the business. How many women work in the company? Are they holding leadership positions? How many women versus men that are holding leadership positions? Am I going to change their mind because of this? Maybe not. Am I going to change the company because of that? Maybe not. Are we going to spark some curiosity or questioning or a conversation that maybe they're not having? Yes. And that's usually the way that it's been. And I think these things, sometimes we think about change in a very big, complex way. And I'm not, it is oftentimes in some areas. Yeah. But then I think we forget really the, the, all of the big things we can do with smaller actions. And that's the space that where we choose to be every day, every single day, we choose to figure out ways where we can spark that potential for change. And we're going to continue doing it. It's not, again, I think it's, it has its complexities as doing it in a different way probably does as well but that's what we choose to be. And that's the, the really the mission of Nemi. Nemi means to live in the Aztec language. And to us, what is it? How do we want to live? What change do we want to see in life? What do we want to create? Um, and living in a very natural and basic way. And with that, creating a product that only uses natural ingredients. Nemi snacks are pretty much a mix of amaranth seeds, nopales, pea protein powder, flaxseed, chia seed, and then the seasonings, which are a mix of real chiles and mercado fresh spices. That's amazing. It's so interesting when you tell the story about going through the grocery store, because for anyone that's familiar with consumer packaged goods or CPG, it's very intimidating if you're thinking about starting a brand to go down a an aisle and be like, okay, so there's Frito-Lay, there's Pepsi, you know, there's so many of these big brands and they're the ones that have the shelf space right now. So how 100%. am I even going to go up against these brands? And I find the way that you talk to partners, very inspiring because you found it's not, you're not, you're not doing it in an inauthentic way where you're like, wow, I'm going to position myself this way so that they're more inclined to work with me. It's leading with what you believe is important that these big brands on the shelves right now can't really stand up against. They don't have 
unless they're creating a marketing campaign around it that still feels like inauthentic because we all know that they're major brands, they don't have a leg to stand on compared to the mission and values that you're bringing to the table. So I love that you're talking about leading with that because it's it's also so interesting too to hear them say, well, don't you want the flavor to be left behind on someone's fingers or because everyone is so conditioned to that being what a snack product is. And you're still looking at consumer research that's saying, here are the tenets of what a good snack is. Here's what consumers gravitate toward just based on their taste buds. I'm going to take that and I'm going to combine it with my values and mission and come up with something that's really great. It's a really well-rounded yes. brand. I love that. Thank you. Exactly. And I think the the amazing thing about starting as a company and starting small is exactly what you mentioned. Because you see these giants alongside on the shelf, but they can't take risks the way that we can take risks. So we are able to react fast, pivot fast, change something fast, figure out if something is working or not and testing at a faster pace. Um, and, and to me, that was an advantage that, that I had as a, as a owner of a small business and starting a smaller business kind of, you know, bootstrapped and really very, very scrappy. You know, when you're scrappy, then there's a flip side of you have to be very creative instead. There's always a flip side to, oh, but, you know, I think it's easy to say, but how am I going to start if I don't have money? There's yes. all these other ways. But how yes. am I going to start if there's so many snacks in the industry? Right. But what's missing then? Yes. Or what are you not finding? Or what are we not? And a lot of that information comes from observing, a lot of reading. And I started asking also connecting with people in the industry where a lot of it was informational interviews for me to try to understand what I didn't know at the time. And I, you, you mentioned about... Again, going back to what you said, seeing all these big brands on the aisle and seeing the shelf space that they have and with that, the money that they have. And it is a, it is a game. You know, I think you, when you go into retail, it, it is a game. It is a game about you start going into bigger stores and there's a lot of expenses that go into being able to keep your product on the shelf and getting it off the shelf and all the money that goes into that. And I think, you know, it's, it, it is a game of how much money you have to achieve that. But at the same time, that's not necessarily a limitation. And a lot of what you do, you start seeing, and, and maybe you've seen that, you know, with your podcast and, and with your business of we're so afraid of failure. We're so afraid of what we understand, you know, when we say of not succeeding the way that we understand success as or the way society portrays success as. Well, what does success mean as a woman sometimes, right? Success to exactly. as a woman means you're taking care of your family. You have a family, you have kids, right. you get married, right? Like success traditionally as a woman looks very different than success in how I talk to women on this podcast about there's a reason why I don't even brand the podcast anymore is talking to female founders. And it's funny because I get pitched by men all the time that they're <laughs> the pitch will come in. Yes. And they'll be like, I love listening to your podcast. I would love to be on it. And I'm like, well, you clearly haven't listened because 
I'm trying to normalize that female founders are just founders. And that's why I choose to focus on women and normalize that for all of us because success for us means something a little bit different. It means it can mean starting a business and pioneering that side of business that, that hasn't really been, um, celebrated and focused on as much as it needs to be. Yes. No, I, I agree with that. What was it like? I do, I do have a question about when you, because I think a lot of founders too, especially female founders, they want to be the change that they see in the world. They mm-hmm. want to be able to find other female counterparts and partners that can elevate their business and grow their business. But to what you were saying earlier, it is really hard to find not only trustworthy partners, but then also partners that are part of the mission and values that you're trying to cultivate for your own brand. What was that process like going to Mexico, talking to farmers, talking to co-packers, and then also stating that you wanted to see (laughs) what you valued in their businesses as well? Yes. I'm going to talk a little bit about the pre phase of that. Okay. Because before that started, before that process started and before I started connecting with them and sharing the story, I had to believe that I was able to do it. And I think at the beginning it started with really putting myself in a position that I wanted to be until I realized that fear was really nothing more than my imagination And if I could imagine those limitations, I could also imagine an unlimited reality filled with what I wanted to see. And it started there and it was a complex process. I think it's, I'm saying it, but it wasn't, it wasn't as easy. It took some time. And sometimes I, I still struggle with those, you know, with fear and with limitations, et cetera, but really thinking and owning and, and feeling that I, that I could do it. And then as I started sharing the story, it was very interesting and surprised in a, in a positive way to see that people were started connecting with the story and people felt aligned with the story. Um, and I also knew, right, like I think asking around and then I started connecting with other brands as well in the industry. And I think the CPG industry, at least from my experience, we are all trying to help each other especially on the you know smaller brands or brands that are now medium sized that started small bootstrapped as well we're all trying to figure out how can we help each other and it was about having a lot of conversations because i knew and i understood the reason why i wanted to do it and why i wanted to start the business i knew that if you know if there was a no out there it was a no and then it was just a reason for me to move on and find the yes and if there was another no, it's like, perfect. Th- that's just, that's that's okay. That's part of it. I'm just going to continue moving along until I find that yes, or I find that alignment with vendors that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And it took about nine months between that first conversation with that first co-packer that I saw in Xochimilco with that first farmer that I started talking to. It took nine months. And it's a constant. I think we're still, you know, we still have conversations. I have a very close relationship with all the vendors that I work with. That's an intentional thing that that we do. I think this business as 
probably any other business, it's about people. Mm-hmm. And, in, it, it, you know, if, if we are not and taking care of our customers, we don't have a business. We're not going to have a business. Um, so that's that's when the process started, but I wouldn't say the process ended. I think it's an ongoing process, and hopefully it'll always be an ongoing process. Yeah. What would you say has been the most challenging part of starting the business? I think starting the business is not as challenging as operating the business. Mm. Because when you start, going back to you start with a lot of passion, a lot of drive, and then challenges start coming and coming. And challenges never leave, they only change. But they never leave. They're just part of the path that we take. And a lot of challenges are totally new, especially, again, if you're not coming from a CPG background, things were dealing with supply chain issues, dealing with distribution issues, dealing with receiving all the inventory in my basement. And you have a bigger account that is asking you for pallets and I have no idea how to do a pallet. And I have no, and to, you know, right now that's not a challenge, but three months into the business, that was a challenge for me. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Like all these different challenges that start coming up and obstacles and somehow, and I don't know if it's a mental thing. I like that. Like, I I like receiving that, knowing that I have no idea how am I going to do it. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a problem. And trying to figure it out. Maybe it is a problem. No, I'm I'm serious. Maybe it is a mental thing that has not been diagnosed yet. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are that way because it's so satisfying to figure it when you do figure it out that you almost start to welcome it, especially because you have trust in yourself that you're going to get to the bottom of it. So it almost becomes just like a fun little bump in the road. Yes. And you get to learn more, right? You learn as you go. So that's also exciting too, is like, okay, well you learn. And then like, just like the palette thing that you said, it's so true. It's like, oh, well that was a challenge. Now it's not because I, I figured out how to overcome it. Right. And I think that applies to everything in life even like our, our personal life, like any, anything we go through, something that has helped me deal with challenges a lot has been mindset. Before I started the business, I had a self-care practice. And my number one recommendation for anyone starting a business is try to make sure you have a self-care practice because the business is going to take so much time from you. It's going to take so much, depending on how far you want to go, depending on how you want to do it, there's no one size fits all. It's really your decision of how you want to do it. But depending on that growth and how fast you want to go and how you want to mold that, the amount of time and resources that you're going to spend. So having a self-care practice to me has been, I think, the, the, the most important thing when it comes to dealing with there's stress every day. There's things that happen in a different way that I envisioned or planned for every single day. And that's just the reality of it. I'm not a mom by choice, but I have these conversations with moms and caretakers. And that's pretty much how they explain motherhood and parenthood of, I plan it to be this way. And it's totally different. It's all about adaptability. And it's all about how are we reacting to those changing circumstances? I welcome change. I try to prepare myself for that, knowing that I have very, there's a lot of things that I have really no control of. 
-hmm. But then the things that I do and the things that I can do about, at least I know that I did the best that I could with the information that I had at that time and with the resources that I had at the time. That doesn't mean that it's the same right now. Yeah. But that keeps me going. Um, What does self-care look like to you? Like, what does your practice look like for those listening? It changes all the time. I, I, you know, I, I think they're very basic things that I do on a daily basis. One is drinking water. I think we underestimate really the effect of hydration and drinking water. I work, I try to work out every day. Well, not every day, like five times a week. And I don't do the same all the time. It depends on how stressful of a day I will have. How am I feeling? If I have my period or not, if I am tired or not, how well did I sleep? And then based on that, if I do a yoga kind exercise or something about the pelvic floor, I had I had endometriosis for many years. I don't know if you're familiar with endometriosis, yep. but it was just the really the best opportunity that I had to connect with my body in a way that I didn't before, because it takes so many years to get it diagnosed. And a lot of doctors tell you, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. I knew there was something that was off. I knew there was something that was wrong. So I had to figure out a way to cope with the pain, to figure out a way to continue living the most normal that I wanted to and continue walking without pain during my period. And that really just created the space that I still respect and that I still connect with, with what kind of, I'll move, but what kind of workout do I want to do? Do I want to do 25? Sometimes I do 15 minutes and that's okay. Sometimes I do one hour and that's okay. That's what my body felt like doing at that specific moment. Yes. I sleep eight hours every night. I do not sacrifice sleep. I sacrifice social life or other things, but I don't sacrifice sleep because I've seen the effect that it has on the everyday work that I do, if I'm not rested, um, you know, something that may sound a bit counterintuitive, but I stopped multitasking too. And when I stopped multitasking, I saw really the, the amazing benefit of focusing your attention on one task and really, and really training your mind to letting go of distractions. And I saw the result, how I was able to do one thing actually in less time than I thought I would, but it was kind of this constant process of single tasking for some things. Sometimes you have to multitask, that's okay. But also getting into the habit and the training of single tasking. And I'm very mindful of of my diet too. Mm-hmm. And so I try to, I don't drink that much because I'm not a fan of alcohol. I don't eat a ton of sugar because I'm not into sweets either. I just, I don't know why, which I, I mean, Good I am thankful. For <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Jealous. I like such yeah. a sweet too. That's bad, you know, but, but also too, similarly to your product, your product is what I love about Nemi is that it's so delicious. It's so satisfying, but then also it has protein content. It has fiber content, right? So yes waiting for the sweet, not even like smart sweets, but like something that someone can develop that is satisfies that, but also gives me added benefit. Because for me, as I started working out more and more, I just started paying attention to even just how much protein I was getting. And I'm someone that waffles in between 
being a vegetarian and being in, uh, uh, what is it? <laughs> what's the, I clearly I've only been a vegetarian because I'm vegan. like, Oh my God, what is the, the vegan? But what's the meat eater? Why can I not think of that? Um, uh, carnivore. <laughs> carnivore. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes I don't want to eat a lot of animal products. And so that's, what's nice to have a product like yours. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is not only a super satisfying snack, but it also gives me the nutrients that I need. It's great. So like having those as even resources throughout the day is nice because I have a sweet tooth. I would love to find something like I go down a grocery store aisle right now. There's not anything there that really satisfies me in the, in the way that I want it to. Right. But that's where having some of these newer snack foods like yours, I'm like, Oh my God, we should all have those because it's something that we don't have to feel guilty about. And also gives us nutritional benefits that we need throughout the day. Yes. And that was the goal. Really the goal with the product, with the flavor profile was I need to get the crunch. I need to get the flavor and I need to get the nutrition. So it's satisfying because, right, satisfying on two levels. First is the flavor profile. And then the second is the nutrition profile because it has four grams of fiber per serving, six grams of protein. So that it's really filling your body and filling your stomach in a way where that we should be filling ourselves with, with just good, high quality, nutritious food. And I've seen the effect that that has had on me for many years. Again, you know, it started when I, when I knew that there was something wrong with my body before I was diagnosed with endo and it took me nine years to get diagnosed with endo. And it's crazy that um, I think in a very indirect way also ended up being an important part of the the product profile. Yeah. What advice do you think that entrepreneurs need to hear right now? I don't know. You know, I don't know if I have like one piece of advice because it it's such a fast-paced environment and it's so challenging and it's a very difficult ride. I think one would be prioritize self-care in any way that you can. However you want to do it, with one thing, with two things, it doesn't matter. But really knowing that you you have to look out for yourself, protect yourself in that way so that you can really put out your best self out there and create the best product and be the best brand representative and have, you know, always coming in with, with the, you know, how... How can I really be my best self when I'm putting myself out there, when I'm having a conversation with you, Sam, when I'm having a conversation with a consumer, when I'm talking to a store, when I'm talking to distribution? I think we all deserve that space. I think we all deserve that level of attention. And if I don't give it to myself, I'm not going to be able to give it to anyone else. Such good advice. That's actually advice that I don't think anyone has said before in the podcast, but it rings really true, especially now that hustle culture isn't celebrated. It's more so frowned upon because of what you just said. If we can't take care of ourselves, then we lose steam in the things that are most important to us throughout the day. So I absolutely love that. Where can people find an Emmy? We're on our website. It's www.nemminative.com. We're also going to relaunch on Amazon in about in a couple of weeks next week. So yes, Um, Amazon Prime. So stay tuned for that because we're really excited about the relaunch. Yes, and 
yeah, other DTC, um, like the bubble, uh, the good smart, say we, which is S A Y W E E E, which is okay. like a Hispanic a grocery store, mostly DTC. Cool. And in stores, um, in Chicago, in in New York, in the East Coast, mostly at Juice Press and Bunbury Mart, Central Market in Texas, and then a couple of um boutique and smaller grocery stores in California, mostly in Southern California and in San Francisco. Amazing. I think too, for people listening, when you try the product, you will fall in love with it and you'll be addicted like I am. (laughs) And then you can go to your local store and say, I need you to carry this because this is so good. I can't put it down. That would be amazing. I would go do that. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah, thank you so much, Sam. If any, you know, and if there is a question about the product, about anything, my email is hola, H O L A, at neminative.com. I always answer my emails, I always answer DMs. Um, I care a lot about community and creating those connections. So if there is any store that you think of in your area and your neighborhood, please DM us and let us know because we, we will go there. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, this was so good. Thank you so much. Sam, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing this space. Thank you for helping us elevate Mexican cultura because it's really these spaces that help us bring our mission to life. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for spreading the word. I I really enjoyed talking to you. Regina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and dropping so much amazing knowledge. I know everyone listening will find it so valuable and you're just an inspiration. So thank you for being here. You guys, Nemi is officially on Amazon. So you can go to their website. You can go to Amazon, check it out. Make sure to go buy a bag. They're so good. I know I keep talking about that. I know I talked about that a million times on the podcast, obviously not sponsored. It's just a delicious snack that I will sing the praises of forever. So Go buy the snack. And if you love today's episode, feel free to write us a rating and review. Uh, I know I've been a little lax on getting episodes up, but I just moved last month and it's been chaos. So I appreciate your patience. But if you found any value in today's episode, something stuck out to you that you want to make a note of, take the extra second, literally go to Apple Store, Apple Podcasts, give us five stars or whatever you feel like warrants, you know, a rating. Uh, It just helps us get in front of more people and it helps us spread the word about how powerful and amazing female founders are. So thanks so much for listening and I'll catch you guys in the next episode.